As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Joelle Steiniger. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Matt Goldman. Today we talked with Brian Trouchold of Ambition.com. What do you guys think? Yeah, this was all about prospecting and sales, uh, reaching out cold and even doing some phone calls, kind of doing what it takes to make the sale. Um, so he takes us through his process from prospecting to cold emails and sprinkling in phone calls to what's been successful for them. It was really interesting to hear. Um, what'd you guys think? Yeah. And I loved how they really give credit to inbound as well. Um, there often seems to be a big divide between the two camps and he really has an appreciation for what inbound can do in terms of figuring out what personas you really want to target. Uh, so let's get into it. Wistia is a video hosting platform built specifically for business. If you're using video as a part of your marketing strategy, 
you need to be able to measure its impact. Wistia is helping over 175,000 businesses do just that with premium video hosting, lead generation tools, and in-depth video analytics. For more about Wistia, visit wistia.com forward slash rocket ship. All right. So Brian, tell us a bit about ambition. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me today. Uh, ambition is a, about a two year old, uh, SaaS startup. We're focused on helping people, um, be more successful in sales, driving sales performance, um, for, Companies of really any shape and size, we have customers from startups to Fortune 100, uh, and primarily what I'd call us is a uh, sales engagement or gamification from maybe a couple years ago, be the word people use, but uh, engagement and then advanced analytics on both uh, the sales activities, the actions people need to be taking, and uh, you know what the roadmap to a successful rep looks like on a daily or monthly basis. So what do you see as kind of some of the stumbling blocks that people have in the sales process when they're, when they're going out and, and prospecting? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, a million different stumbling blocks. Most of the time people aren't even getting started and they're already stumbling. Um, the biggest thing I think people need to understand, and, and it's hard for a startup, but um, you know, identifying, identifying the right persona that you want to target how you want to approach them, what is, what is the language that they speak on a day-to-day basis so that your message will resonate with them. Uh, you know, most people aren't out there waiting for your company to call. And I think a lot of, a lot of reps and a lot of people in sales or, or uh, lead generation, business development, they don't really realize that. They're, they don't have a high empathy for their target sometimes. So... Mm-hmm. I think you have to really step back before you start running and say, you know, what is our product? Why is our product valuable to someone? What are the pain points? Two, four, maybe even, you know, six or eight, depending on the product. What are the pain points that we run across? And then who in an organization that's the right size for our product feels that pain? So, you know, if you're selling into sales directors or, you know, CMOs, whatever it is, you know, Identify those people on LinkedIn. LinkedIn's like your best friend in sales, tells you everything. People are constantly bragging about what they do and what they've accomplished and what their goals are. So you can find a lot of this stuff on the front end. But then uh, having a really clear couple pain points and then being able to reach out. We can get into reach out part two, but, but then being able to really quickly communicate effectively what you guys do and how you can solve potential problems. And I think really most reps... Uh, maybe it's a startup or maybe it's the company that, that skips the step, but most people don't think about that and they don't have that readily available when they want to start engaging with these prospects or targets that they've found on, on LinkedIn or, or a lead list or whatever it is. How do you find out who you're selling to? Great question. Hopefully you know. I, I, I think you know, it's a, maybe a chicken and egg process. If you're a two or three person startup, who you sell to is is kind of a, a path, a discovery path or a process. Uh, if you're coming in as an early rep, you should know, or, or the VP of sales or sales manager should be telling you, you know, we sell into, uh, you know, sales sales directors, chief revenue officer, VP of sales, or you know, COO, and those are the four positions that we want to talk to. Um, you know, here's the decision maker. 
here's the the owner of our product in an organization. Here's the person who actually interacts with it on a daily basis. And those could be three different people, really big companies. It could be 10 different people. Um, but you should be able to map that out pretty clearly. And so if you're a, if you're a sales rep, if you're a biz dev person, when you go attack you know, this, this great account that you think is perfect for your, your product, you should have that all – maybe you don't know the exact name, but you know the type of roles you're looking for. LinkedIn can provide you most of the names. And really, once you find a person in an organization who's, who's corresponding with you, who's giving you some time, who has some interest – uh, you know, just not use them, but, uh, you know, utilize them and, and kind of empower them and say, hey, if this is valuable for you, Michael, you know, who else do I need to sell in the organization? And especially once you have a champion or someone who's at least, you know, casually interested to, to keep conversations going, they'll tell you. And I think a lot of young reps, myself included in the past, are really hesitant to ask those questions. It's a little bit awkward. It's can feel a little bit daunting, but uh, as long as you kind of put yourself on their side of the table and say, you know, Michael, I think this can help. It sounds like you have some interest here. Who else do I need to talk to? Who else will make our lives easier in getting this pushed through? And, uh, you know, it's kind of like opening, it's kind of like opening a, uh, a treasure chest of information. They'll tell you, oh, you know, it's, it's Mike in accounting who needs to get involved. It's, it's Tina in sales, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden you'll have five people, hopefully you have, you know, contact information. You can just, you know, kind of go down the list and get them all involved. So kind of in the same vein of that question of like, who do you talk to? How narrow do you get on the size of the company that you're targeting? Um, Especially in the beginning when you might not be sure, like saying SMBs is really broad. So do you go like, you know, how how wide are the windows, I guess, um, that you start with? when you're identifying the size of company you want to target. Yes, it's it's super important to do this because you'll you'll swing and miss a lot of time trying to chase the wrong customer, especially early on. So uh so I think um you know, hopefully if you're building like us, if you're building a SaaS product or you have a product that you're selling into companies um you know, you're doing B2B sales, you should have a really good idea after the first one, two, three customers that you probably just strong-armed a buddy or you strong-armed an investor to get you in somewhere and you have a good sense of what that, that customer interactions look like, you know, how they're utilizing the product. Um, so, so at that point, you have an idea and you need to go try to replicate it as many times as possible. So if the first customer was a 10-person startup, one product manager, you know, one sales guy, couple engineers and you're selling into the product manager, you know, how many probably thousands of companies are there now that are a startup with that exact same or really similar profile. Um, and you can just go, you know, one of the best things about LinkedIn is you can see companies similar to, or people, you know, people also viewed on the right hand tab and all those people are normally really related. You can kind of just bounce through LinkedIn and just find more leads that way. Um, and I think that's a great way to prospect, but you know, in our case, we know that we have a couple different segments of customer size that work really well and we, they kind of all have different approaches. So when you're talking to a customer that has 30 people, they may have one, maybe two decision makers, maybe one owner. Once you hit that next level 30 into the, 
mid 100s of employees. Now you've got a little bit more procedure. There's more process. It's going to take probably 50% longer, maybe 100% longer to sell in there based on you know their situation. And then you have this next level of 200 plus into the thousands. And you've got a pretty formalized um, you know, uh, product acquisition and, and like fulfillment. And it's going to go to a procurement side, budget analysis. It's going to go to legal for your contract. And so if you're early and you're selling, you know, probably you're, you're selling as quickly as you can. You want to get deals closed quickly. You want to sell into that, you know, SMB means nothing, but, but that smaller, you know, fast moving decision maker can make a decision in a week maybe. And then as you get good at two, three, maybe a dozen of those, you know, depending on the product, depending on the speed, then you can kind of graduate into, okay, this company has 30, 40, 50 people. I'm not going to sell maybe the CEO anymore or the COO. I'm going to sell a, you know, a VP or a director. He's going to pass me along if it's interesting. Or maybe he's just going to say, yeah, this is great. It's going to take me three weeks to get spun up and get everyone on our side engaged. And boom, you're in the deal. And, uh, you know, you want to, uh, you want to make a couple of those layups or those easy buckets before you really start taking the difficult shots with a 2,000-person enterprise company. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. Now, back to the show. How do you approach um, getting into the right person? We've heard going a step up and trying to get passed down. Um... It, do you have any advice or do you go direct to the person that you're selling to? Gosh, there's, there's so many good strategies on that. Personally, I like to try to be direct. Um, I think it's, it, it's going to be situational, which is the reality. And I think everyone's, if they're being successful, they're probably going to use a little bit of all of those strategies, mm-hmm. whatever their main, they'll have one that they use all the time. You know, I want to, I want to sell typically into VPs of sales sometimes a sales director. Uh, and there's, there's a couple varieties of positions that we know work really well. Um, but they're kind of all have the same level once you're that company size, uh, you know, VP director of sales operations or, uh, sales enablement. They're kind of all relatively similar, relatively similar, um, footing in the organization. Um, but yeah, you want, you want to, you want to find them, whether you're purchasing leads or you have a team of who are finding leads or you're just doing it yourself on LinkedIn, you know, you do those searches, you get their names. I like to do this when I, when I find someone and I I really encourage a lot of people to do this, I will connect on LinkedIn cold. Uh, I think a lot of people see the profile. They say yes or no. I have a really high connect rate. And then I'm going to go match up uh, their name with their company email. And there's a ton of good tools to do that. Two for reportive data.com. Uh, the list goes on and on. I'll, I'll skip a bunch that are, that are probably really good. 
Um, and so it's really easy to go find, you know, Brian Trouchold's email at Ambition, not my, you know, Gmail that's in LinkedIn. And then I send a really quick, um, you know, personal one-off email that says, you know, hey, Brian, great to connect on LinkedIn. Here's why I wanted to connect. I'd love to touch base and learn about, you know, XYZ or company, sales operations or sales enablement, whatever you do. And maybe if the timing's right, maybe we can talk about what Ambition does and how we can help. And, you know, I'd say the reply rate for that is sometimes, depending on the position, depending on the company size, between 30 and 60% reply. And it's normally pretty positive. They just saw my face. They got a, uh, you know, a little LinkedIn connect from me. They probably, I only email if they accept. So they've accepted. Uh, there's some familiarity with there. And, you know, now we're off and running. We can, we can have a conversation. If they don't reply, you know, I'm big on, I'm big on, automated email drips. I think it's great. You know, I wouldn't tell our customers that who've signed up through it, but you know, I'm going to put their name into a four, five, six step process. And we have, we have a couple different templates we use, try to be customized based on their, their position type, their role type. Um, and that's going to send them an email every three to five days, depending on which drip we're using. And you know, that's, that's great. A lot of people do that. A lot of people are, are getting a lot, what I would call more sophisticated about using drips. But uh, the biggest success factor, I think, in using those drips is to intersperse calls. Um, if you can find their number, which you probably can, or you can call into the main line of these companies, they'll, you'd be amazed that, that people will pass you to the right, the right number or they'll give you the number with just a little bit of effort. Um, and I think it's just, it's just great to... Send a couple. Send an email. Wait a day. Call. Send an email. Call that afternoon. And you know, kind of have this cadence where the target or prospect, whatever you want to call them, they know that you're you're motivated to get in touch. You're you're going to tell them, you know, why you're why you're calling, why you're emailing in in every touch point, and and clearly have empathy. I don't you know I don't want to have a bunch of people who are doing, you know, Stratton Oakford out there just hounding people cold calls. But, you know, when you get someone on the line or when you have a voicemail, you say, you know, hey, this is Brian. I'm calling because of this. I'm following up from this email I sent you yesterday. I'd love to touch base. Feel free to call me back or shoot me an email when it's a good time to get in touch for three to five minutes. Same thing in the email. If you do connect with someone um, who you've been reaching out to, Always enter the conversation with empathy. Realize that uh, you know they weren't sitting at their desk at 10:30 a.m. on Tuesday waiting for someone to try to sell into their company. They're probably working. So you know, always, you know, I always try to approach a cold call or, or one of those connects with, you know, hey, it's Brian calling from Ambition.com. I sent you an email or two last week. I know this probably isn't a great time, but do you have three to five minutes on your schedule tomorrow? throughout the week that we can circle back and t- talk about X. And I think that's a, you know, probably not the, uh, the strategy a lot of maybe old school salespeople would be using. They want to get in hard pitch right away, make someone squirm enough to say, yeah, I'll do a demo or I'll take a meeting or whatnot. But, uh, you know, my approach is a little bit nicer, a little bit more, you know, here's the value that we can discuss. I know it's probably not a good time, you know, and then hammer down, Okay, Thursday works. I'll give you a call at the same time on Thursday. We can discuss. Uh, and I have, you know, I think that we have a lot of success with that. I, I like that approach. 
when people give me that kind of empathy when they cold call, you know, ambition or myself, I feel pretty good about it. I'm not like getting hogtied on the phone and, and kind of trapped. So it's something that we kind of advocate internally for our sales team. So what kind of success rate um, makes it worth it to go through this effort? Like what kind of metrics are you trying to hit with a close rate? I know that's going to change depending on how much your product costs and all that, but um, maybe for you guys personally. Yeah, yeah, it's great. That's a great question. Um, And it's highly, highly dependent on the company, like you said, and and the product and the price point, but um, and the competitors in the market. You know, we think we have a premium product. We think we have the best product in the space. That's what our users tell us, whether they switch or it's the first time using something in you know, our category. So you know, my goal, and we're not hitting this today, but you know, I want to win you know, 50% of deals um, that are truly opportunities. And that's maybe a second conversation of how you qualify an opportunity, what constitutes someone being an opportunity. Um, there's timing, there's budget, there's use case, there's all these things that go into that. But um, you know, once you have someone qualified, you know, I think most people will probably shoot for a 20 to 25, maybe 30% close rate at the high end. Um, you know, I think that barring some, some crazy, uh, you know, miscommunication or us doing a poor job qualifying, we should close 50% of those deals or more right now it's lower. Um, but you kind of build this, you know, you see very quickly that the economics makes sense once you have data on the whole chain. So once you have data on, you know, how many leads, uh, how many leads can we even connect with on the phone would be great. So like, what's our, what's our connect rate? Um, once we have a connect, you know, how many of those people are agreeing to demos and that should be your first qualification, obviously is that that's really a qualification call. It's not a sales call. Um, and if you get, 10 to 30%. I think ours is just over 25% today. You know, that means that we're doing a decent job of, of like pre-qualifying a lead before we ever call them. But then once we get on the phone, we, you know, talk about a couple of things. We ask questions. Um, you know, we try to be respectful, learn as much about the organization without interrogating someone. And then they have the opportunity to say, you know, yeah, this actually is interesting or this would be interesting or, yeah, this is something I've been looking for and I just haven't had the time to see, you know, until now. And then you get a demo. And, you know, once you've done that, you should really be able to start to put some hard goals on. If someone's an opportunity, they've accepted a demo, they, you know, are maybe or are in the market for this type of product, you know, we should have a high close rate and there's going to be there's going to be barriers to that, whether it's, you know, whether it's budget, you know, maybe they don't have the budget for the premium level of your product, or maybe they have so many thousands of users that your product actually doesn't make sense for their org or whatever it is, or maybe they have too few users. Um, but hopefully once you've qualified, you have a high close rate and, you know, you see this, this really nice value chain from whatever the cost and the time to gather those leads, the cost and the time to reach out and call, and then finally, what you're getting out of a lead when they actually close, based on the, uh, you know, based on pricing, but in our case, like annual contract value or, or, or monthly value, and then lifetime value of a customer that hopefully in SaaS will will stay with you for three, four, five plus years if your product is you know meeting the needs and the, the goals of the customer. 
And are you completely focused on just this like outbound, uh, almost cold reach out um, in the beginning? Or are you also kind of combining that with inbound to qualify people before you even start the sales process? Yeah, I think if people aren't investing in inbound, they're uh, doing a disservice to their sales team because it makes it makes life a lot easier, especially for a startup. And I guess that's the you know who we want to talk about here. It, it's a tough balance, and I think it's a it's a dance that you have to do pretty carefully. But if you can dedicate time or dedicate some budget to to trying to get inbound channels really growing early, you'll thank yourself later. You know, so you'll you'll really thank yourself later because the you'll have these two different sales processes. Inbound sales, you'll just find go so much faster, so much smoother, quick to close um, once they're qualified. Let me put in that caveat, and maybe a little bit you know of a nicer experience because that person has opted in. They've said, "Yeah, I want to check this out," or someone give me a demo, blah blah blah. Call me at this time. And you've got this really, you know, smooth, nice sales process. And we did that really early. Like I think that our company probably caused some investors' eyes to pop out when they, you know, how quickly we really started to to focus on content marketing, to look at different channels, to try to put out a lot of resources for the customers that we thought would be shopping for our product. And we've we've tweaked that a lot along the way. Um, but it's helped us in, you know. It's probably an invaluable amount of value that we've we've got out. It's it's hard for me to calculate, but a you have great customers who come through content or come through different channels, and then you also have you know the customers that you're outbound selling to, who once they've been reached out to a couple times, they're like, man, with you know these ambition guys that keep calling me, uh, where they left me a, the voicemail, it kind of sounded interesting, and maybe I don't totally know what they're talking about. And they hit the site or they hit you know LinkedIn or they go to Twitter or something like that, and they find some content or they find you know something interesting that we've put out there, and all of a sudden they've qualified themselves and they say, "Wow, actually this is something I want to talk about and they've you know they reply to that email or they they call you back so I, I couldn't stress more that you should you should try to do both if you can uh, we went you know we basically kicked them off both simultaneously um but I, I know that people do, you know, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a smarter way to do it than what we've done, but we've really, really found a lot of value in having inbound going at the same time as outbound and, and really almost starting inbound before outbound ever got off the ground. If you were to draw like a line in the sand um, with your customer base of the people whose first touch point was through inbound versus their first touch point was one, uh, one of your sales guys contacting them. What is your success rate, or how does that differ between the two? Um, yeah, that's a great question. So, a line in the sand on so not so the success rate on outbound versus success rate on inbound. Yeah, I mean, I know there's probably you know the lines get blurred once someone gets into your pipeline, but yeah. you know if their first touch point is coming into your blog, say, versus uh, you reaching out on LinkedIn, I'm curious to know how that affects you know, the rest of the process and the ultimate success rate with that customer. Yeah. And these, these numbers would kind of come off the top of my head and you have a, the one thing you will see in inbound is you have a lot of tire kickers, people who 
maybe not really the right the right person or the company is not really a fit but they want to they want to check out something cool they saw this you know they saw this blog post or this article and you know they get into the funnel that way but i would say success rate on inbound that's qualified is is really high uh you know it's probably it's probably 60 to 75% at least and that might be you know, falling short a little bit based on reality, and then and then outbound. Um, gosh, it's hard to calculate the whole chain, but you know, on a qualified outbound, it's probably somewhere in the you know twenties, thirties percent. If you looked at the whole outbound, which is you know we do a lot of different things based on prospecting ourselves, occasionally acquiring lead lists, like like purchasing lead buckets, then it probably starts to slim. Down quite a bit to uh, two to maybe five percent success rate, um, but the cost of those leads are are almost negligible versus the annual contract value. If that makes sense, yeah, totally. Does that answer the question? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it's always kind of hard to figure out where to put your energy, especially when you have a small team. Um, yeah. And we've kind of been pulled in both directions of inbound and outbound and, and how much, you know, time and effort should go into each. And it's really interesting to hear how you guys have approached it. Um, and especially as, you know, a sales tool still, um, appreciating inbound and everything that that does for the company. So that's really cool. Yeah. It's, uh, one of the cool things I think that inbound will help with, especially early on. And you kind of actually, this is a question you had earlier is, you know, what type of customers are you selling to? How do you know what, what the persona is and what's the target company based on size or industry? Inbound helps with that because when you put these, when you're putting content or you're using, you know, you're using whatever channel it is, um, you know, that fits your market, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or Google, um, and you're putting out either ad content or, or blog content, whatever it is, people will come to you that you never really expected. And that's, that's really helpful because, you know, then you can kind of, you kind of restart that process I talked about earlier in prospecting. And that's when someone comes in and they say, Oh, this is actually really interesting for our business. This fits a problem that we've had, which is X, you know, once you've signed them up as a customer or you get a pilot going, whatever it is, or you just engage, you know, deep into the sales process and you have a good idea of how that business works, you go find companies like that. And now, you know, now you may have opened up a whole new area that, you know, never realized that companies in this industry had sales forces that do this or have lead gen teams that do this. But now I do. And now I know companies that look similar from at least the outside to, you know, this current customer or this prospect. And now I'm going to go, you know, outbound sell to all of them. And I think that really, really helps from inbound, especially early on when you don't, you, you don't really know all the, the customer, you know, the potential customers, maybe you made some cool slide and, you know, an investor pitch, but you don't know the names of 2000 companies to sell to tomorrow, but you can figure it out, especially when you have some, some good, intel coming in from that inbound channel. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Brian, this has been really, really enlightening. Um, can you tell our audience where they can keep up with you and Ambition online? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'd love it if people went to uh, ambition.com. 
Uh, we put out a ton of, of content like I'm, like I'm harping on right now. We've got a great marketing team, great marketing director. Um, and then, uh, you know, I'm always engaging with people on Twitter. I'm at B Trouchold, which is really, really hard um, to spell. But, we'll uh, link to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you find that ambition, you'll find me. And I put some stuff on LinkedIn, but uh, spent a lot of time talking about sales strategies and, and then fundraising for startups. So look forward to connecting with some people. Thanks for having me, by the way. This is awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. And be sure to check out our app discount section where we have discounts on products that we use every day, like Woo Themes, Wistia, Treehouse. Go to rocketship.fm forward slash essentials and get your discounts today. Yeah, I-